1: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Cornation.com, part of the SB Nation podcast, I almost said broadcast, Meh, it's alright, SB Nation podcast network. My name is Greg Mahochko, and uh, my co-host, as always, is our founder and fearless leader, John, damn, good-looking Johnson. Hello, John. How you doing? Doing well, yourself? I'm not that good-looking, you son of a bitch. No, I agree, but I was trying to be nice. Although oh, here, I'll print my hair. Oh, there no. you go. Now I look great. It's a, it's the start of a new month. I was going to try to turn over a new leaf, but
0: I guess I won't. You know, I was just upstairs talking to my wife. I asked her if she wanted me and she looked at me like, what the hell? And I said, just think 40 years ago, I was 18. I was a nice looking man, wasn't I? And she hesitated for way too long. So I came and did this podcast.
1: Sounds like similar conversations at my house. Yeah. Uh I want to say I want I want to give a special shout out because of course you're wearing your traditional uh one of a kind coronation robe but
0: Jedi robe
1: but beneath that thank God he's wearing a shirt this week folks beneath <laughs> that it's not just any shirt it is a shirt for through these gates it is a documentary uh directed by uh, Lincoln native Ryan Tweedy and of course co-host of the uh Big Red Cobcast you can also hear here on coordination.com. Have you seen Through These Gates, John? I have. It's a tremendous piece. It is. It's very well done. I think Ryan should get more work in the documentary segment. He should do a sequel? Yeah. He should do one about the uh, the lives, uh, the life and times of the coordination contributors.
0: my God. (laughs) Yeah, I I think he wants to sell something, actually. So... You know, maybe not that.
1: Well, let's think. We have had a variety of of, uh, individuals uh, come in. Some have, you know, because of, you know, life and things like that, they've had to move on. But we still have a solid core and it's growing all the time. And um, I just think there's some great stories. And if everybody who, you know, read the Coronation articles or liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, interacted with Coronation, if everybody bought one then Ryan Tweedy would have himself a very
0: successful documentary. You know what we need? We need a serial killer. Because serial killer podcasts are really, really popular. And if Ryan was able to do a documentary about a coordination writer that was also a serial killer, that would be a, a monster hit. And then they could ask us things like, well, that Jill... Did you see signs she was going to have problems? Well, kind of sometimes. She kept talking about cows and uh, and anger, and uh, I drank a
2: lot.
1: Maybe less related to coronation, but more related to Nebraska. We could have Tweety do a documentary on Charlie Starkweather.
0: Or the Hoyt murders.
1: Or... <laughs> The uh John Joubert, who was uh executed in Nebraska via the electric chair in uh, July of 1996.
0: This is a real pleasant beginning to this podcast episode. Perhaps we should turn to lighter things, such as uh, uh do you think uh, we should introduce our Herman. guest, uh, our,
1: our uh, friend who's joining us this week? Yes. Well, have at it, because I'm, I'm being I'm being run in on by a four year old. So, uh, John, do the honors, please.
0: Oh, serial killer Jill joins us this week. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Potential serial killer.
2: Yeah. Serial killer
0: oh. to be Ser- serial yeah, I thriller. Only
2: got one. You know, you have to do two or more to be a serial killer.
0: Well, get busy. We were just talking
1: <laughs> before uh, we started rolling sound about. Uh, What Jill was up to tonight since she didn't go to the baseball game. uh, She's outside sweating, has a fire going in July, drinking beer, and we joked hiding the body. Maybe we weren't joking after all. I don't know.
2: Well, you know, the best jokes are sort of true. (laughs) She's,
0: She's not denying anything.
2: Just try to find me. (laughs) (laughs) i've got a fire the proof will be gone
1: (laughs) well we know she's not at the ball game because i hear cows in the background so
2: yep it's that time of night where all the calves want supper
0: don't we all just because just because this podcast could get more morbid i actually worked for a I, – I worked in the death industry for a little while and as part of my IT consulting career, and I worked for a Jack the Ripper. funeral home uh, that did cremations, and I learned a lot about cremations. And you have to get a fire up to 6,500 degrees, and it has to burn for a while to incinerate a body completely. So, you know, you're going to have to have one hell of a fire. Everybody is gone now. Stop listening to the podcast and uh, – <laughs>
2: Well, you also forget that I also used to teach um, on uh, mortality management for livestock. So I also understand how to compost a body. That's like even slicker than fire. It's not as fast, but it's more thorough.
1: While we're talking about it. (laughs) Since we're talking about it, what, in your opinion, would be the worst way to go?
0: Oh, my God. We are just going down. It's just a slope, and we're just sliding down it now, aren't we?
2: John gave us all these topics, and Greg and I agreed. We didn't read any of them, so we're just going our own direction, right? Yeah.
1: I'm Um, talking about things that I I know, and that's bullshitting. (laughs) The worst way to go? What would be the worst way, in your opinion, John?
0: Well, the, you know, to make things real, I had I did have to watch my dad die of pancreatic cancer in 1974 when I was 12 years old, and I cannot think of a death worse than that. Personally, I have repeated dreams where I am scuba driving, scuba, scuba driving, because <laughs> that's a thing that I'm going to invent. Me and Elon Musk are getting together in the next couple months, uh, but. Scuba diving in an underwater cave, and I cannot—I get lost, can't find my way out, and I run out of oxygen. And uh, the—you know—that—that—that that, that dream is uh, not—it's very well, it's very disturbing. English is hard for me, as everybody knows. But we love you more for it, John. If you didn't talk so
1: well, you'd be perfect. And and since nobody can be perfect, you have to have this one itty bitty flaw.
0: That <laughs> one itty bitty flaw. Okay, Jill.
2: Yeah, I think my nightmare dreams are always like driving in a vehicle off into water and not being able to get out. Or even worse, not being able to get my kids out of the vehicle. That's the one that I think seems to haunt my dreams anyway.
0: I seem to think that the next segment, that the next thing we should actually talk about is Iowa football because of the completely morbid absolutely horrifying things we've started out with so far. It should just be Iowa football, but maybe we we shouldn't go in that direction because nobody wants to think about Iowa football.
2: Yeah. We don't need to take it down even a darker trail. That, really. that,
1: that's true. I do that's like true. a little bit of schadenfreude when, uh, when thinking about the Hawkeyes. So uh, as for me, <laughs> I I'm torn. I, I I'm right there with you both as far as, you know, like uh, the drowning aspect However, I also think that being burned alive would not be fun.
0: So, What about being buried up to your head and being eaten by ants or something? Come on. Okay. Bill Moose. The, 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 let's go to actual I, I, football talking. I
1: also don't think it would be uh, fun to be uh, trampled by a herd of moose. Well done, John. And now, we, yeah. now we've brought it to, to where you want to get to.
0: Yeah. Actually, one more thing on the moose thing, you know, I live in Minnesota, <laughs> and uh, as Boy Scouts and camping in the North Northwoods, uh, people always think, oh, my God, what if you run into a bear? Well, bears aren't actually that bad. Uh, the worst thing you could run into is a, a moose, because moose uh, can be, they're freaking enormous animals. And then they can be startled, and then when they're startled, they just uh, run over your ass, and then they back up and do it again and again and again. And yeah, I always uh, I never really ran into a moose, but anyway, Bill Moose, see how I did that? I uh, <clears throat> talked this week about getting to six wins, and, and Bill, moose,
1: Bill Moose, Bill Moose is country style. He might run your ass over and kill
0: you. No, well, it's true. All right, six wins, but he talked about six, that last summer too he did he did it's it's really a repeat of uh, 2019 when he was talking about how their barometer was six wins and of course we went five and seven and and you know i it, it, it i mean when you say that let's get to six wins nebraska football uh man what happened well
2: it sounds depressing
0: i th- i think though
1: and and i think Sip uh, wrote a little bit about this earlier in the week or over the weekend that while there was a lot of uh, hype surrounding Nebraska football, you know, Adrian Martinez could be a Heisman contender and, and uh, you know, top 25 preseason, things like that. At least, you know, from, from the summer and those comments, both from national media and Bill Moose to the end of November when Nebraska finished five and seven, you at least get the idea that Bill Moose was a little bit more realistic and had a little bit, you know, better idea of where the program was.
0: Should I read a bit from Simple's article? Read a bit from Simple's article. Okay. I know we're going to be better, Moose told the Journal Star last week. We keep getting better players, so I think getting to the – Six wins is more doable than a year ago, and it's obviously way more doable than two years ago. Simple goes on to write that half, roughly half of the 155-man roster, which is huge by the way, is made up of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. That's about. Moose has been consistent in saying that we should wait to judge Frost in earnest after his fifth year in charge. That's. Uh, you know I've been I, I mean you try to follow college football there isn't a lot going on but I've already seen articles out there about how Scott Frost could be on the hot seat if he doesn't get to a bowl game this year and of course we're all pretending that life is normal and everything's going to proceed as uh as if nothing else is going on so but doesn't I that, doesn't oh, yeah, it, I
2: think you'll get a pass this year it's just such a weird year
1: And doesn't it speak more, again, uh, of the, uh, for lack of a better term, intimacy uh, that Moose has, uh, the familiarity with the program, than all of these national prognosticators who would say, you know, I think there was, what, a one in 60-something chance that Scott Frost was fired, or or among the first uh, next, you know, P5 uh, coaches uh, to be fired, and here you have Bill Moose saying, you're not going to be able to judge it until year five. So, At least in my mind, and maybe this is the fact that we live in such a shit-ass cynical world that I'm looking for any uh, gleam of positivity. But I look at that as like, okay, well, here is an athletic director that unless they go 0-12, you know, and and they're not going to go 0-12, but unless that happens, he's not planning any changes in the immediate future.
2: I think it speaks to actually an organization that's sort of on the same page finally, in terms of, you know, what they want to accomplish and how to do it and recognizing it's going to take a bit to do this. You know, uh, that was one of the big arguments with Polini. You know, he had his chances and he, Never seemed to take that next step, but towards the end of his career, he was also saddled with an athletic director who really didn't see eye to eye with him. You just can't succeed in that environment. You know, and Mike Riley, I think, was just doomed from the beginning. So this is hopefully an encouraging sign.
1: And I I, you- I completely agree with you, Jill. In in especially in uh, you know the end of Polini's tenure. And in, in Mike Riley was never, I, I've contended from the beginning that yeah he was never m- anything more than a palate cleanser. Uh, he was he's going to wash away all the bad taste of Bill uh Bill Bo Pelini, <laughs> and uh, uh you know you, you start fresh, and and I think that's what uh, Mike Riley was, John. I was going to
0: ask uh, Jill, can you interpret Cal?
2: This is, um, where are you, kid? I want this uncomfortable fullness in my udder to be gone. And the kids are saying, Mom, I want supper. So,
1: all we gotta do is All we
0: got to do is have Mom a fine baby.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: think I've ever heard those words together. Maybe you hear them all the time. Uncomfortable uh, uh, fullness in my udder. It sounds <laughs> like a band name.
2: I grew up on a dairy farm. <laughs>
0: Um, you heard the, you heard those words daily.
2: <laughs> the cows would be waiting at the the barn door because it was like it was time.
1: Twenty something years ago, when I was in high school, I was in the FFA, and uh, anybody who's been in the FFA knows that there's. If you go to a meeting, there's a a particular uh, speech that the that the president of the FFA has to kind of follow, and for whatever reason. Years before I ever started, the president at the time said, "You know, now let us, uh, you know, if whatever official verbiage it is, it was the end of the meeting in time for the socialization parties. Like, let, let us now conclude our business and mingle with others." But uh, this one upperclassman at one point accidentally said, "Mingle with others." FFA. We all had a laugh. The tradition carried on for years. So that's the only uh, dairy cow. Information or, or anecdote that I can share. Bill Moose, six and six, six wins. It's doable. Definitely doable more so than it was two years ago. Right,
0: John? Well, I mean, we've got, but we open with Purdue and then we've got Central Michigan, South Dakota State, and Cincinnati. And, uh,
2: two and two. you know, I
0: guess traditionally as a Nebraska fan, you'd look at those games and say, we're going to beat the snot out of all of those teams. But
2: three of them think- worry me. Yeah,
0: exactly. We're gun-shy at at the least. I mean, or maybe we're realistic. Maybe we are uh, at a point where we're ready to just say, screw it, six wins is success, and let's build from there. What do you guys think?
1: Look, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, I definitely think that this is a baby step situation. You know, Um, and furthermore, I think that, I think that, Nobody knew what Scott Frost inherited when it came to Lincoln at the end of the 2017 season. You know, I don't think he knew how far behind the eight-ball Nebraska was. Uh, Bill Moose didn't know, but that first year was a bit of a litmus test. Last year was, you know, when he says six wins, that's an attainable goal. Almost got there, and you know, I know the old saying that almost only counts as horseshoes and hand grenades, but it was still improvement and I will continue to take improvement. Six wins is better than five. Eight wins is better than six. Let's just continue to, you know, take small steps, building blocks. Anybody who thought, honestly, and I'm sure that I was such a homer at one point, you know, in the last 24 months, uh, that I thought, oh, you know, look look what he did at UCF. Obviously, we're going to be 13-0 in year two. You know, I was probably telling myself that more for, you know, shits and giggles than for any realism, or maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember what I have for breakfast this morning. How the hell do I know my mentality two years ago? Um, I just think that marked, marked improvement is improvement, and we need stability. That's why I think that Scott Frost isn't going anywhere anytime soon.
2: What I'm waiting to see is for either line, defensive, offensive, and hopefully both, to actually be winning some of the battles. That's where I think the turning point will come, when, when we aren't getting pushed around in the trenches anymore. It, we can have all the Wandale Robinsons, the Adrian Martinez's, you know, the, the great skill players, but until we get that physical sort of mentality, that competitive mentality in the trenches that's what I'm waiting to see us turn the corner on and that's what I'll be watching closest this year for improvement I the wins I honestly am not sure we're gonna have a football season or even a full football season but if I can actually see defensive linemen offensive linemen winning their battles I'll be like yes that's where we're making progress And maybe I am that Nebraska fan.
0: (laughs) You look at the 2020 schedule. I mean, the final five games are at Ohio State, Penn State, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, and Minnesota at home. Okay? All of those teams can run the ball. And if Nebraska doesn't do something about the defensive line and the defense by itself – I mean, all of, every one of those teams probably wouldn't even have to throw the ball against us to win a game if our defense doesn't get any better than it's been the last two seasons. So, yeah, you're right about the lines and the linebackers, you know, on the defensive side. But Can something I, has to happen there.
2: Yeah, yeah, I probably should have included the linebackers because I think we've had some solid defensive line players, but... Whatever's going on there, they're not being maximized and the linebacking situation has been interesting. Yeah.
1: I don't, don't wanna sound uh like I'm casting out stereotypes, but is it gonna take something like the Nebraska kids, like the Cam Jurgens and the Garrett Nelsons uh of you know specifically in, in those units, you know, the 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 guys who are in the trenches, the offensive line in the front seven. Is it gonna take those types of guys to step up and really instill a competitive edge i mean they were both freshmen last year they, they both got you know three more you know assuming there's not a medical register knock on wood uh but they still got three more years in the program those could be uh, like i i've you know was pumped for garrett nelson from day one i i won i loved his enthusiasm um you know the that video of him earning the black shirt. Uh, you know that that's that's the kind of five heart that we like to see here at coordination.com, By God, um, but the guys who I, I don't know are we are we past the point now where you're not playing for you know the the state you're not playing for the the Nebraska pride is that is that something that since we haven't won Jack Squat since two thousand one that there's nothing. You know, the guys, the the local guys go to Nebraska if they get the opportunity. We've also seen them very recently, you know, choose other schools than Nebraska. Uh, One of them, you you talk about, like, Keegan Johnson says, well, look, it's not the 1990s anymore or, you know, however that message was phrased. Um, Is is that era of playing hard for Nebraska over? I just don't –
2: they just don't have the depth right now. I mean – I. The way that that walk on program worked was that it, these kids came in, were underrated, not really noticed by other recruiting services, and Nebraska had an advantage in nutrition and weights, and they scared the recruits into working for their jobs. Um, You know, however, it's done now, I just think we haven't had the depth at a lot of these positions in recent years for people to actually fear for their jobs. And it shows.
0: I don't, I don't think that, you know, this is blasphemy, but I don't think the begin quote playing for Nebraska end quote thing has really anything to do with it. It, It's a, it's a nice marketing campaign, but if you're a competitive person, you're going to do the best you possibly can, no matter what you're doing, no matter what the color of the uniform is or what logos are on your chest or on your helmet. Uh, the problem is, is when you go into a place, uh, you always need, you know, Greg, you need somebody that makes you better. Jill, you need somebody that makes you better. And I certainly need somebody that makes me better. And doggone it, I've been married for 30 years. And it's it's been work for her for all this time. Maybe I'm finally getting someplace, but you have to have the the team that that looks at each other and again holds each other accountable and hold each other to a very high standard. And maybe that has something to do with depth, but it's a mentality depth issue. Uh, so you know,
2: well, if you don't do your job, I'll do your job.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, we really have, when we've seen any really evidence that the walk-on program is, you know, I mentioned earlier, 155 man roster. My God, that's a lot of people, but uh, does it really, it really hasn't resulted in any success because we haven't had any success, but I wonder sometimes if it's uh, if it's actually beneficial other than maybe Scott Frost says you can do more practice reps with it. But, Speak, speaking
1: of that, briefly, of that 155-man roster, and then we're probably going to switch uh, topics. Actually, I think it's a good bridge from the conversation we're having to you know the next uh, topic, but did you guys, uh, or individuals, guy and gal, did you all hear uh, uh, the report, the rumor, if you will, about travel rosters possibly being as low as like 40 players?
0: I did see something about that somewhere, yeah. Talk about lack of depth. That seems, yeah.
2: That is a huge disadvantage to the visiting team. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you're going to do that, then you have to say, all right, your home roster is only going to be 40 people, too, right?
0: No, you don't have to do anything. I mean, they're making up
1: shit as they go. All they want is income. (laughs) Well, what's the what's the standard? You know, like guys you can dress for a home game versus travel roster. Still, what 55 man? I think it's sixty. Okay, all right. Let's say mm-hmm. sixty. How many can you dress for a, uh, for the home team? Seventy something. It like,
2: yeah, I thought it was either seventy eight or eighty or something in that range. All
1: right. So I think I think if you're if you were to drop the you know lower the amount that you could travel to forty even forty five, you have to comparatively I think drop the number of guys who could dress because at that point, uh, if you're trying to maintain the social distancing, uh, then you can't have you know, 120 guys out on the sideline or in Nebraska's case, 155, you say, all right, well, uh, you're going to get 60 who can dress and 10 more, 10 more who can, you know, be sideline, whatever, whatever other role they might have.
0: Maybe they drop it to eight man football. Ooh, that would be the best. And
1: (laughs) Nebraska doesn't have anybody who played eight man football. I don't think so. Doesn't help at all.
2: The fullback is even more awesome in eight man football.
1: But Nebraska doesn't have a fullback. They could make one up. I'll do it. Put oh, I think
2: cause... Cam Jurgens could do that too. Just he's that good. He's the right?
1: center. He can't snap the ball to himself.
0: Well,
2: The fullback never handles the ball. They're just there to crush people's dreams.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yes, we could see more of that. I would be for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Well, let's take a timeout. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of these other topics, including COVID in the NCAA. Oh, and,
0: my God.
1: Well, it's okay. – hey, you know what, John? I don't want to hear any shit because you were the one who came up with the list of topics. So if you weren't wanting to talk about it, you shouldn't have sent it to us in the Slack chat room.
0: Wow. Okay, Dad. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> if we come back, I'll be done weeping. That'd be done.
1: John, what was that? No, never mind. I don't want to. All right. We'll be back. The Five Heart Podcast continues here on Coordination Radio. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. Greg Mahachko here with John Dam Johnston, our founder and fearless leader, and the ranch paper self, Jill Heemstra. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Hope you had a great break.
0: I had a great break, Greg. Thank you.
2: So did I. I still didn't read the stuff John sent, but we'll pretend I did.
0: Okay. Are you going to be outside when it gets dark so we can hear coyotes? Oh, absolutely. I haven't heard coyotes in Nebraska for a very long time, and I miss it. Because you can never tell where they're coming from or how far away they are. And they're all talking to each other, and you feel surrounded. Especially when you're out in the middle of a canyon at night. I don't know, drink a beer by yourself, because that's what you do as an alcoholic. And... Uh, you think, uh, oh my god, they're coming to get me or they're going to scavenge my anyway. <clears throat> let's uh let's go on. What do we got? In... Right?
2: Fortunately, I live in a concrete house, so I don't have to worry about them scavenging anything. Um but yeah, I'll I'll make sure that I record the next coyote noises for you, John.
1: We have coyotes around our house. There's cool. no coyotes? No, there are. You can hear them out in the distance. Again, like like you said, John, no idea how far they are or which direction. I got a pretty good idea that it's behind the house where the field uh, and the trees are and not in front of the house where more houses are.
0: Just a guess. Okay, before we get into the topic, since we were during the break talking about what uh, relaxing noises we have on apps, <laughs> because people need to know this. Uh, <laughs> I tend to listen to rainstorms at night to put myself to sleep and to deafen noises from the rest of the household because my son, my rotten son is up playing video games with his friends and yelling at them frequently. Well, he's the rotten one. That's why
1: I'm sure he's going to be the one this weekend. Who's out in the driveway shooting off fireworks because he doesn't need all of his fingers. Why?
0: You know, well, Minnesota is pretty lame when it comes to fireworks. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. We, you can burn yourself to death with a big ass, Sparkler, but you can't blow anything up never really understood that myself but you know whatever we had in my neighborhood
1: we had people setting off fireworks as early as this past sunday night and monday night and i said oh i didn't realize we were celebrating the 29th of june
0: i thought you know what that is greg hmm. as a sign, you're old you're getting all like, bleh, bleh. you become your dad, and you're like, ah, damn, people, your dogs are afraid. I really that's wish.
2: Also my young, that's also my youngest son's birthday. He got his um, learner's permit. I am now paying for three teenage males on car insurance. I don't produce nearly enough billable hours to do this.
1: You can change that. Just leave your computer running sometime. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works, but I got a feeling it's not how it works. Uh, no, John, to to your point, John, the only way that it would have made their shooting off fireworks remotely tolerable would be if they were walking up and down the street doing it and they stepped on my lawn so that I could yell out the front door, get off
0: my lawn. Maybe when they're shooting off these fireworks, you could get an app on your phone and then play rainforest sounds at night and you wouldn't hear their fireworks going off. I, and not be as angry as you are because clearly you need to see a therapist true I do have the call map on
1: my phone and uh, I only have it it only has one function at the moment and that is to show a serene setting and play some peaceful sounds from that setting be it a bobbling brook or uh, you know a rainforest type of sound that bobbling brook is for you uh, Joe uh, but I, I would like to appreciate that. I would like to uh, uh, open up all of its features and functions. I just don't want to pay $7.99 a month to do so. So if you're out there and you want to gift uh, the, one of the hosts of the Five Heart Podcast a Calm subscription, let me know.
2: The noise that I really can't stand is wind. I've gotten to the point where wind... I understand why people went insane in Pioneer Days because of wind. So... The anti-Calm app is wind for me. Sorry.
1: We had a a thunderstorm roll through a few nights ago, and I'm the heaviest sleeper in the house, and it woke me up numerous times. It felt like uh, it was centered right three inches over my roof and just claps of thunder
0: nonstop for about four hours. So that was
1: fun. None
0: of these apps have coyotes yipping at night.
2: That times. sucks too. I, I don't like the coyote sounds either, but yeah, we, about, I think is 10 years ago exactly this year on our anniversary, which would have been 10 days ago, a tornado struck our house and a piece of the roof off. And so that lessened my interest in wind. If we didn't have a, we built a, Concrete house. The walls in our entire house are 12 inches thick. It's, you know, eight inches of steel reinforced concrete. There's two inches of foam insulation on each side. And the corner of the house that took the hardest hit, even with those concrete walls, my baseboard trim was moved like a half inch off of the wall. And I kind of asked the contractor who redid everything, like the roof and everything, you know, what if. What if we'd had a normal house, you know, the two by four construction? He goes, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. So, yeah, wind is something that is.
0: Not your favorite thing? Not
2: not my favorite thing, no.
0: Well,
1: let's talk about everybody's favorite thing right now. COVID-19. I mean, it's got to be everybody's favorite because everybody's talking about it every day for seven and a half hours.
2: Well, we've had three tornadoes since I've lived here, and we've only had one COVID-19 plague. Seriously, tornadoes are way more fun to talk about, right? (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) John, you shared a link with us that none of us had the uh, time or took the effort to read. So tell us about what Dennis Dodd was saying over at CBSSports.com.
0: Okay, Dennis Dodd had an article on June 30th. It says it's a three-minute read, uh, and he, he detailed some guys who are really smart guys because they're professors at universities, and they took numbers from the CDC and they looked at the number of football players playing football, which is what football players do, and uh, they determined that they would project a, a thirty-to Okay, let me read this. Dr. Sheldon Jacobson told CBS Sports he expects a 30 to 50% infection rate of the approximately 13,000 players competing in FBS this season. Based on his research, he also projects three to seven deaths among those players due to COVID-19. It should be uh,
1: said here that Dr. Sheldon Jacobson, is a computer science professor at the University of Illinois. University of Illinois, as we know, does not have a strong football program. Therefore, it would benefit them greatly to not have football.
0: Oh,
1: I don't know
2: know if it would benefit them, but...
1: (laughs) I'm I'm having some fun here telling some jokes.
2: (laughs) Oh, I agree. My current employer is the University of Illinois, even though I still live in Nebraska, so... I uh I'll stop there.
1: <laughs> have have we we have discussed on this show before how, you know, the the age range like look, th- these are division 1 athletes who, you know, we've seen 99-year-old people walk out of the hospital or, you know, maybe roll out of the hospital, whatever, but you know, they've survived the it's important to remember that coronavirus has no friends. It uh, it will and has uh, killed people across all age spectrums, etc. You know any any demographic. I don't know, maybe not be the right word. Um, and we have said on this show, we've guessed anyway that look, if you are a college athlete, professional athlete, you are in the you know top percentile of you know, being physically fit. And therefore, theoretically, even if you catch it, you should survive. Now, Jacobson made his projections from the data that estimates one death per 1,000 people who have symptoms in that college-age group. And this is directly from com. that 18 to 22 range. Um, So, I mean, it's, you know, look, I want college football back. Uh, I hate wearing a mask. I'm not a social distancer by nature. I'm doing... Look, everybody, take everything that I say, and let me say this. I'm doing my very best. Um, it is it is a chore. For, I mean, it all, almost always was, but it's a chore for me to go to the grocery store and get the weekly groceries because um, I just don't handle it well. I don't handle wearing the mask. I don't mind crowds, at, at least grocery store crowds on a Sunday morning. They're not like grocery store crowds on a Saturday afternoon. But... I don't like wearing the mask. It um, it affects me, like some minor anxiety or something like that. It stresses me out. It's always one of the great joys of my day is to walk out of the store and take the mask off. So I'm doing my best. Um, but we've said on the show, at what point is, you know, college, you know, in this case, since we're talking football, college-age men, uh, you know, bashing together for our entertainment worth any lives be it you know people in the stands or people on the field i mean that, that we, we've had that conversation a few times by now haven't we john yes
2: and i even i'm about to send two sons to college this fall and i'm worried about them and they're not in athletics so
1: send them to the army they'll be better
2: Oh, yeah, I totally trust the Army, too.
0: (laughs) What I think is odd about this story and odd about the statistics is this, specifically. It's as if to say that all these people who are playing college football will be perfectly fine if they were doing something else. And it's the implication here that if we have college football and there are three to seven deaths of college football players that they wouldn't have caught COVID or they wouldn't have died or had horrible symptoms and, you know, lifelong effects anyway. You
1: know what I mean? I do. And that's something I hadn't thought about till you, till you mentioned it. Um,
0: It's, it's as if to say, if we don't have college football, everybody will be fine. And that's bullshit. People will, by the way, that's the first swear word I've said this entire podcast. How about that? It's a,
1: Oh, great. Now the flood is on.
0: Yeah. Life is changing. I'm I'm about a month away from becoming the really uh, arrogant guy who's against alcohol and everything, like a born again Christian guy. Anyway, um, he he's
1: he's like somebody who's all of a sudden a vegan, except it's about
0: alcohol. Yeah, exactly. I I can't wait to be that bastard. Oh, look, two two swear words within a minute or something. I don't know if bastard uh, counts. So what?
2: Was, so what was the joke about? You know, an atheist vegan CrossFit enthusiast walks into a bar. Which one do they tell you about first? <laughs> I Carry on. Uh, what? Carry on. <laughs> I was less
0: speechless. Anyway, I mean, the, I think the problem I have, I, listen, I think Dennis Dodd is a really good, he's a good college football writer. But he's also one of those guys that tends to get up on an ivory tower and preach You know, and a lot of guys do that, and I've been told that I do that myself, and I do. But, you know, let's get up on an ivory tower and preach about the evils of the world with regards to sports, such as, you know, these poor football players being exploited in a billion-dollar industry, which they are. But, you know, uh, in this case, the problem isn't that anybody will point out that these people could have been, you know, they could have been infected whether they were playing college football or not. The problem is, is that when you write articles, you blame what the big, huge institution is. In other words, you know, when CTE came out, we blamed the NFL for hiding all this stuff. When people knew smoking was bad for them for years, we blamed the tobacco companies. And, you know, you can go into various aspects of whether it's person, self-responsibility you know, for yourself or accountability for yourself, or you blame these big, bad institutions like the NCAA. Um uh, I guess my problem with this is you can see where this is going that if there well, are I, I'm
2: sort of agreeing with you here, John is like I'm sending my sons to college, and there's just sort of normal people they are gonna get no special treatment whereas I, I think the football teams and and because of the kind of contact and the kind of um day to day schedule these football players have they should get some extra treatment but I am as a mother of a normal student wondering like wow okay I'm gonna have less knowledge of what's going on and hopefully football players parents will at least have a little bit more knowledge or you know be able to follow the trail of the testing and the precautions being taken
0: only if their kids allow it, because their kids. Yeah, are, that's
2: true. Only they're if their kids allowed.
0: allow it, because uh, because technically their kids are adults, and and we shouldn't call them kids, but they're over eighteen, and they have to actually agree to have their parents. Uh,
2: In Nebraska, it's nineteen.
0: Because it HIPAA, so that's kind of weird. People don't really realize that, but that's how it works.
2: Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, because I teach, I am getting my certification to be a high, I can teach college classes right now without, in in certain areas, I can teach college classes, and I have to follow all these privacy laws where I really can't talk to the parents unless the students have given a okay. But I'm also taking classes to certify me to be a high school teacher, and those laws are just completely the opposite where you are expected to engage and really communicate with parents much earlier. It's, it's a 180-degree turn between those two worlds in three months between when somebody graduates from high school and when they enter college, their privacy laws completely change And even in Nebraska, where the age of consent is 19 instead of 18, it's still, I can't talk about my community college students, but I'm expected to engage with my high school student parents. It's weird.
0: Let's go back. History lesson, three to seven deaths in 1905, I believe there were... Well, in 1905, there were a number of deaths in college football, and it almost destroyed the sport. And the reason why there were these deaths in college football is because the sport was extremely violent. Uh, You can go back and look at college football history, and, you know, I mean, uh, most of those deaths occurred because of just uh, players being kicked or punched or being pulled in piles, and obviously we didn't have the medical technology back in 1905, but it almost, it almost ended the sport until Toadie, Toady. oh my God, English is hard for me. Teddy Roosevelt stepped in and said, you guys have to change the sport, otherwise it has to go away. So they did start implementing changes. So the question would be, is if we, if we have college football and we do have some deaths of college football players, I mean- what impact would that have later on? Will everybody just be sued to death and the programs will cease to exist because of that? Uh, will – you know, that's that's the stuff you look into the future. This of uh, July. Celebrate America with the taste. Oh. What was that?
1: <laughs> I was I was going down the rabbit hole of things on cbsports.com and apparently it popped up one of those videos that gives you no option of whether you want to watch it or not. So I apologize.
0: Yeah, I hate those things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's you know there's the unforeseen for circumstances, and that's I think what everybody is worried about. Uh, we were going to talk about uh, the certain people from the well meeting with the government and how they got beat up by the the feds in a government hearing, and how the you know the government some of the people in the government want the NCAA would come up with a consistent policy and plan for how all of these schools should handle virus testing and how they're going to handle all this stuff. And I would say the reason why the NCAA doesn't want to do that is because they don't want to be sued to death. Nobody wants to be responsible for this stuff. You're having schools have kids sign waivers. And the question for a lot of these people is, is this waiver a legal document that basically says if anything happens to this college football player, the school is not responsible. And there's a lot of arguing back and forth about that. And the fact that there's, there's... Go ahead, Jill.
2: Well, plus there's programs that have resources to do some of these things that are sort of in the ideal world, and there are programs that just don't have the resources to do that. You know, how do you... How does an NCAA make a policy that protects people but also understands that some schools have more money than others i mean this has been sort of a you know privilege and and whatnot or or resources are a ongoing battle in every issue that comes up it's not just covid you know, so basically,
0: if the NCAA were to say, everybody has to be tested before every practice, Division two and Division three schools would pay, say, screw it, we're done with football.
2: Yeah, exactly, because they don't have the ability to pay for that. They, and they maybe can't access the tests. I mean, if somebody can't get a hold of the tests, if they can't afford them, if it's not in the budget and the budgets are already being hammered, you know, a school like Nebraska is going to be able to withstand one year of this, even if we have to cancel everything, they'll withstand it and they'll come out and be sort of a thing that resembles Nebraska athletics. But there are a lot of athletic programs that will not. And I think that's, part of the ncaa's calculations whether it should be or not that is part of their calculations
0: greg
1: <laughs> i concur
0: <laughs> was a long pause there
1: i i've uh i'm doing some research into our next topic so
0: Oh, what is our next
1: topic? I'm glad you asked, John. Are we done with uh, the current topic and we move on to another COVID-related
0: topic? Oh, sure. We can always talk about this damned virus. Yes.
1: Well, I don't know if you know this or not, John, but coordination.com did a little survey.
0: Oh, that thing.
1: <laughs> oh, that thing. Um, so anyway, I was just looking at the results.
0: Um, what did you find, Greg?
1: Nothing that really surprised me, if I'm being honest with you. Um, as far as, uh, look, 35.2% of respondents said that they attended uh, home games last year, um, multiple games, 28, in, in fact, let's just go ahead and do uh, about one quarter, 24.1% said that they did not um attend a game home game last year 75.9 percent said they did uh before the pandemic called the season into question were you planning to attend any home games this fall uh only 7.5 percent said no everybody else 92.5 uh, percent said yes in some capacity being uh season tickets would go you know with no season tickets or would go with someone else's season tickets If there's football this fall, Memorial Stadium has limited capacity to 20 to 30% for fans to attend. Will you go to any games if given the chance? Uh, We had 121 respondents or 19.4% say no. Uh, We had 4% say I wasn't going to go to any games before the pandemic. The rest of them said yes in some capacity. So, again, you're looking at 76 point something percent. Um, Again, we'll go to one home game. We'll... Go, you know, if it's a a nice weather and we'll attend every home game if possible, you know, possible under this scenario. If Memorial Stadium were to be open for games this fall at full capacity, would you attend any games? And again, uh, not totally surprised by the results. We had just about one quarter say that they were were not uh, going to be planning on attending either for covid related reasons or not uh and again about three quarters say yes with you know season tickets yes at least one game or yes multiple games uh without a season ticket package and finally your age bracket and the uh the the I don't know, I don't want to call them boomers, but the 45 to 54, that might even be too young for boomers, but uh, they were the largest portion of the respondents at 25.2%. The shortest uh, or, or the smallest amount of respondents were, prefer not to say, at a sliver, only seven out of the, I think there were uh, almost almost 500 or over 500, uh, over 600, I think, respondents total.
0: 623. So, well, there you go, 623. Which actually is better than I thought we would get, Uh given that our traffic numbers are way down this year, along with other websites that I've talked to. And, uh, and new
1: contributor, especially here at uh, the five hour podcast, Todd Wolverton said in the uh, comments that he's not going to any games this fall because of the pandemic and that's college, high school, et cetera. So, just thought I'd throw. It so out. the
0: bottom line is, people would still go to the games if they were able to go uh, because of capacity. Uh, they don't give a shit about this virus. And I wonder
1: if that. <laughs> look, we all know that Husker football is the state's identity. I wonder if you go to, if you ask, you know, I, I don't know if the Champagne Room was asking a similar uh, question, but you know, if you you go to a place like Illinois where they have. You know, the uh, the Illini, they have Northwestern. If you want to include them, they have the Chicago Bears. And if you asked them if there would be any difference in, in, the, in the result, I don't know. But I'm really not surprised by these results in that Husker fans are a little crazy, in a good way, most of the time. Um, a little hungry for – not a little, very hungry for Husker football. Um, so, I, again – not surprised by these. Were you all surprised by by the results of this survey, Jill?
2: No. I mean, it, there's so many places in Nebraska where the virus really hasn't reached a critical level. It, it still doesn't feel real. I mean, the the public health district where I live is kind of part of the north central part of the state and extends over here to those of us in the Northeast. And just this past week recorded the first COVID death, you know, so it it isn't something that people feel like is here now, obviously in Lincoln Omaha area, that's a bit different and over more towards the Sioux city area. That's a bit different, but no, I'm not surprised because it, it just doesn't feel like it's all around us yet. I mean, it's here, it's coming, it's, it's going to get worse, but we're still in that phase where we feel like, yeah, we may have avoided this.
0: (laughs) I guess it's uh, it's been a mixed bag for uh, the people I'm around. I mean, uh, my, my neighbors think that it's really kind of a bunch of crap and that it's not as serious. And uh, I actually have neighbors claiming that they've had it back in January, which I don't even think it was in the United States then. But we did have a severe flu that was going around then. Another guy claimed he had it in December, which is, again, bullshit. Uh, but <clears throat> then I've also got these people in my life that uh, they're very Paranoid. I don't want to say paranoid. That's that's negative. They're very concerned that, you know, going out and not wearing a, wearing a mask and being in large crowds uh, that you're going to get infected. And then if you do get infected, there are going to be serious effects. Uh, even for younger people, I mean, you can end up with long-term lung damage or things like that. So, I don't know. It's a mixed bag for me. What about you, Greg?
1: I, you know, I talked about this a little bit. Uh, uh, I have, in, in my previous job, I was in hospitals, doctor's offices, uh, even had to step into some people's homes at times uh, for various service calls and things like that. Uh, my wife said jokingly back in the end of March, you know, when things just kind of nationwide just started shutting down, uh, she's like, Remember back in February when you kind of had a fever and felt like shit? I said, Yeah. She's like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had something related to this because it wasn't like, you know, nausea or anything like that. It was fever, little cough. And, you know, luckily I'm relatively healthy, you know, immune system wise. But I don't know. I, like I said, I hate wearing the mask. I hate, I hate social distancing. I hate, uh, you know, that, you know, for, for me personally that, you know, like I can't take my family to church with me. Um, you know, I go and I do like the streaming part, you know, so that people can watch at home. My family can watch at home, but they haven't been to church since March. And that's, um, you know, that sucks, uh, for all of us, but, um, I I don't know. I, I look at it. This is tough. Um, I'm ready for it to be over, but I see no end in sight. If that makes any sense.
0: That's a pretty good summation. I kind of yeah. miss going to bars and swearing at strangers. That's probably why you're sober now, because you don't have a choice. No, no, no. I can always go buy as much alcohol as I want. I, I'm, I'm going to be sober for a while to get my health in better position, to be a better person for those around me, until I decide to become that overbearing, obnoxious son of a bitch who's better than everybody, which I can feel building in me.
1: <laughs> yeah. be, be prepared everybody out there listening it's coming we're going to have teetotaler John here by the end of the summer
0: yeah I'll probably start quoting like uh, the 13 steps of uh, is it triple no it's AA triple a- not, 12, not 12. triple A that's who you call when your car breaks down <laughs> or a triple A rating with the BBB yeah
2: this is how alcoholic literate John is <laughs> the 13 steps of the automotive triple <laughs> <The> A. <AAA. laughs>
1: what would that, if it was Alcoholics Anonymous, what would that triple A, what would that third A be, John?
0: I'd probably assholes.
1: Or of America.
0: Oh, well.
1: Now you've sworn again, take another shot. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> what is that, iced tea? Yeah it is. Yeah. Actually, it's Can, not even hard iced tea. <laughs> Can I say uh for for the two of you here, uh distinguished uh, guests on the show and for everybody listening, I'm not a big tea fan. And I get a lot of funny okay. looks. I get a lot of funny looks when I say that like like people say, "Really?" Like they scoff at the fact that I don't drink tea. Oh,
2: I like tea. Iced tea. I I'm not a coffee person, so Coffee you're sure. you're, you're on the wrong track here with me. Sorry. I love, I love sun tea. That's what gets me through my work See? day.
1: Now that's the stuff I remember when I was a kid and we only have five minutes before uh, zoom is going to end and we're going to spend it with fun anecdotes of our youth. Uh, but I remember as a kid, uh, in summer vacation, mom would leave instructions like a list of chores to do. And one of those like nine in the morning says, you know, make, put the pitcher of tea outside You know, obviously with the teabags in it, but, you know, put it out in the sun so that it can brew and then put it back, bring it back inside. It will be cold for when your dad comes home from work. John, do you have any uh, anecdotes you'd like to share in our final minutes of your youth?
0: (laughs) My youth?
1: Yeah. uh, Back in the Trojan War.
0: (laughs) I I don't remember my youth much. Well, you know what? You did bring up my knowledge of uh, AA, and I will say that uh, when I was a kid, I actually had to go to AA meetings with my mother, and they were Al-Anon, I think, and uh, they were I, – I barely remember any of that stuff, but I did have to go to these things and go, uh, why the fuck are we doing this? What's going on? I don't even know. Anyway, another, that's real
1: cheery, isn't it? <laughs> another swear word, John.
0: Gosh. Oh, I'm
2: getting – oh, oh, oh. I'll bring up the cows again, because I remember how dad got us to actually help him out in the milk barn. I can remember, like, on Saturday, he would have a TV, and he had a refrigerator in the milk barn. And dad had a lot of beer in the fridge. And so Saturday mornings, there would be cartoons, and my mom didn't, she wanted to watch other stuff. So if we wanted to watch cartoons, we had to be out in the milk barn. If we were in the milk barn, we would help dad. Plus, if we were out there in the evenings, we would occasionally get to take a sip of beer. So that was our incentive for actually doing chores was, you know, you get, you get beer or cartoons.
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> Did right. you like the beer when you were a kid?
2: Um, I like it better now, which is probably a bad thing.
1: I remember my first uh, sip of beer was at my my grandma and grandpa's uh, Pawnee, Illinois, and it was summer cookout, and all the adults were at the other side of the yard looking at something, grandpa's garden or something like that, and one of them, probably my dad, left a bud light on the patio table, and I'm the only one around. I'm three years old. Put it back on there like nothing ever happened. Years later... Uh, When I was 17 or 18, my sister, we were at another family function, and uh, they had NA, non-alcoholic bush light. And my sister's like, oh, you can have this because you're underage. So I tried it. I'm like, I don't like that. And she said, good, because that's what beer tastes like. Come to find out, that is nothing like what beer tastes like. My sister was a damn dirty liar. (laughs) Beer's delicious.
0: Okay, okay. See, I was more uh,
2: like 15 or 16 when I actually got to try beer. Like a sip of beer. You know, dad would not let me have more than a couple sips because that was his beer. I only three? Took... No, I wasn't there. Sorry.
1: I didn't name names. They'll never be able to find out who it was. And besides, my grandpa's not alive anymore, so it's all right.
0: Okay, see, being the older guy here, there's there's two beers that I can remember having tasted when I was a very young kid. Schlitz. The first one was Schlitz. Called it. And uh, the second one was Pabst Blue. Pabst. Yeah, both both of those beers. I tell you what, if you if you would I don't know if Slitch is still around right now, but PBR is. And if Oh it's making a comeback. Beer, you drink that beer, the first taste of that beer is the anger and resentment of all those guys in the nineteen seventies who are union workers and lost their jobs because of the Japanese automakers destroying the economy. And and the, the I mean that they're just I punch you in the face, beer remind you of how just mean life can be. Slits and PBR when you're a kid, or when you're an adult, it's just like, oh God, why did why would you have this? Why would anybody think that was good?
1: John, was how how awful. would you how would you taste the anger of the uh, '70s auto worker put out of business when you know you had your first sips of Schlitz and PBR just after prohibition.
0: I'm talking about right now. Oh, okay. kid, if you were a person, well, yeah, I'd and, get a PBR. mine
2: were, and mine were PBR, and it was in the '80s farm crisis, and yeah, you could just sort of, uh, it wasn't the auto workers; it was the anger of farmers who were being screwed out of land and everything they had worked their asses off for for many generations. So yeah, I, I that is a good way to sum up PBR.
1: well we are out of time Uh, thank you Jill for joining us we'll be back next week for a brand new episode of the 5 Heart Podcast where we we remind you this and every week that 5 Heart is all the heart you need John?
0: Go Big Red!